If you got your Bible, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture that Kinsey looked at at the beginning of her story. It's Psalms 40 and verse 1 through 3. Or you could just look at the screen because I want you to follow along with me. I want to start off a little different for this Thanksgiving service. I want you to read aloud with me, and I don't usually do that very often. But Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. And um, we're going to start in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, and even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Interesting thing. Before David had a tongue of praise, there had to be three things that took place in his life that God developed and cultivated praise through those three things. I want to continue this series on this Thanksgiving Sunday on Watch Your Mouth. And this is part three. And I want to specifically focus on a tongue of praise because David had a tongue of praise, and often we read throughout Scripture the beautiful songs he's written because of what he's experienced in his walk with Christ, his story. Everybody has a story. Everybody in here has a story just like Kinsey. It just doesn't look like the other person. Or even the family members you have, it may not look like theirs. It's unique to you. Through them... God brings things to light and we see the blessings and we see the problems and we see the joys and we see the sorrows, but it's still a part of our story. Through them in David's life, God brought David to an intimate place of praise. The three things God did in David's life, each one of them cultivating this praise. It was David's story, a journey through which... God brought him to a place of praise that's very unique. Often we, we go through things before we experience the favor of God. We, we have to experience some hard times before we actually get to a place where we know what it is to really worship God. Amen. And through that, we learn the importance of praise. Yes. And so here's the thing. I want to focus on that particular passage of Scripture in Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. And I want to look at each verse and I want to explain, according to David's life, how he experienced this intimacy of praise. Are you guys with me? Well, let's do it. Psalms 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord and inclined unto me and heard my cry. Don't like patience. How many have patience? Would you raise your hand? Oh, just about three of you. Congratulations. (laughs) There was patience before there was deliverance. David felt as if God would never show up. For a matter of fact, another portion of scripture, uh, David said it this way in Psalms 13 and verse 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? And then he says, forever? I mean, are you never going to show up? Where are you? And then he goes on and says, how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? But David, through it all, kept the faith. He continued and he patiently waited. I do not have patience. Specifically when it comes to fast food, it drives me crazy. Ever since COVID, I mean, fast food is not fast anymore. And I get so angry. I've been so angry that I literally will call the fast food restaurant. 
while I'm waiting in line because I'm like, what's wrong with you? And they don't even answer anyway, so I don't even get to complain. I get frustrated. Someone once said, until God opens the next door, you must learn to praise him in the hallway. That's tough. I don't like to wait. I hate waiting. I'm not a very patient person. My mom used to say to me, patience is a virtue. And then I found out that is not in the Bible. So I stopped practicing that. And it didn't go well for me. For a matter of fact, the worst time for me is when I'm driving. In 2020, me and Ellie traveled a lot together. And we had a lot of speaking engagements. Not Ellie per se, even though she would do really well speaking. But it was for, you know, Thrive Church. And we were letting these churches know about the church plant and raising support. I was on my way to Alabama. Actually, we were in Alabama, a little town I'd never even been in before. It was like Mayberry. Everybody drove like they were in Mayberry. And I grew up in Alabama, but I lost my patience. And it was just like, come on, please. Can we just move? Can you press the gas? And so I, I found myself, there was, a, there was a red light, the turning lane on the left, and there was like four cars in front of me. And I'm like, forget it. As soon as that turns green, I'm going to go through the turning lane, pass all four cars, dart in front of all of them, and get ahead so I can just get out of this podunk town. And as soon as I did it, it was a cop. There was a cop sitting at the light, and he watched me, and he pulls me over. It was so funny. He pulls me over, big guy, walks up, leans on the car and goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm in a hurry. He goes, well, I don't know where you're from, but we don't get in a hurry around here. He goes, where are you from? I said, Columbus, Ohio. And he goes, well, that explains a lot. He goes, now listen, it being Sunday and all, I'm going to let you go. But we don't rush around here, so you need to take your time and have some patience. And I thought, well, I'll remember that next time because on Sunday, y'all don't give tickets out. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking that. I don't want to wait. I want it now. We are an impatient generation. But when it comes to God, if we don't learn to be patient, we will mess it all up. So David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and then some things happened. There was consideration. God was concerned. Look at that verse. He inclined unto me. Remember, God is concerned. I know you don't feel like it at sometimes, but he's concerned with where you are in your life. With the season, the problems, the situations, what you're going through, God is very aware of it. It just doesn't feel like it at times, especially when you're waiting on him. Whether or not you believe it or feel it, he's inclined to your needs. Just like it was David's. You realize that the same God that was working in David's life is our God too. I know that's hard to imagine. The same God that spoke in the life of Moses and Jonah and some of the greatest prophets we have ever known, like Jeremiah, is the same God we serve. The one that speaks to us, not verbally, unless you're just unique, but just through that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. The word incline has this sense of God bending down to David in his afflictions. It's like a little boy that falls and scuffs his knee and mom bends down to be attentive to the needs of that child. That's our God. So, well, why don't I see that in my life? I am not experiencing that. I'm having a very difficult time in this period of time in my life to praise God because I feel that he's not inclined into my needs. There was consideration. God was concerned. And because he was concerned, God was listening. 
verse 1 says, and heard my cry. Now, let me say this. There's a difference between a prayer and a cry. This, this is more than just praying. This is pleading. This is begging God to do something. Have you ever been in a situation you were so desperate for God to hear you that you weren't just praying, you were begging God? You've, you cried so much you couldn't cry any longer. There was no more tears. You were, you, were, you were so tore up and so broken, you felt like there was no other way to express what's going on here to come out here for him to hear. It's discouraging to have a voice that's not heard. Now, listen, if, you, if you're a parent, you know, what exact, you know exactly what I'm saying. When you say, hey, hey, Christian, Ellie, or whoever your kids' names are, I need you to come in here. And you say it over and over and over again. How many have kids? Raise your hand. How many remember those days? If your kids are out of the house, you still have them in the house. You know what I'm talking about. Nobody's hearing your voice. Nobody's hearing the cry that you're saying, come here. You know, preachers go through the same thing. You know, we preach and feel like nobody's listening at times. Your spouse probably feels the same way because your husband has selective hearing. We all know what that feels like when you have a voice and nobody's hearing it. Counselors feel that way. When they dump everything into this person and this family, into this, this child or whatever the case may be, and they feel like they're not getting through. Teachers, same way. You know, they're investing in children and they feel like none of the kids are listening or applying the things. It's important to be heard, especially when you need help. It's a little different, right? You know, me and Ellie were watching a movie the other night. It was kind of a suspenseful scene. And the kid got kidnapped and he's trapped and he's screaming yelling out, help me. They always do that, right? And nobody could hear him. And I'm like, you stupid kid. Why why don't you bang on the window? And I'm yelling at him while he's yelling for help, you know, because I'm so frustrated because I want somebody to hear him. Look, look what this kid's going through. And I go through that when it comes to God. I'm like, do you not see what we're experiencing right now in this situation? Because I don't feel like you're inclining unto me. I don't feel like you're listening to me. I'm going through something and I'm crying out. and I feel like you're nowhere to be found. Now, be honest with me. Have you ever felt like David? I mean, seriously. When David knew God heard his cry, he was confident of a favorable answer. He knew God was going to do something. When God does do something, it's revolutionary. It's, it's life-changing. Jeremiah, the prophet, said it this way in Jeremiah 33 and verse 3. He was speaking for the Lord. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In other words, you have no idea what I have in store for you. Can I give you an example of that? This just happened to me yesterday. We are about to do a transition in, in, in January, Right? And I'm trying to figure out how much money we need to take care of our displays and our TV and the TV stands and all this stuff we need, right? I mean, we need a couple of MacBooks. We need, we need the, the speakers and the mics, and this is going to cost this. I'm thinking it's going to cost so much money. How are we going to raise that money? How are we going to come up with that? And I was talking to one individual, barely prayed about it, but God inclined, and he's listening. And I said, this is where we're at. This is what we're dealing with. This is what we need he said, how much money do you think it'll cost? I said, I'm not really sure. It could be 15000 could be less, could be twenty. I don't know. And he said, well, I'm going to give you $20,000 today. 20, what? 
I'd be happy if I got five. I said, you really don't have to do it. And he said, well, if I, I know I don't have to do it. Would you rather me just give you 5000 <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> no. I'm not going to play that card. We absolutely want $20,000. And he said, well, all right, I'll take care of it right now. I didn't see that coming. That's exactly what Jeremiah is saying. Mighty things which thou knowest not. The problem is when we call on the Lord, he doesn't always answer in our time frame in the way we want him to. Yes. It's interesting. Evangelist Lewis said it this way. When God answers prayer, he answers in five different ways. This is, this is unique. No, I love you too much. Yes, but you'll have to wait. Yes, but not what you expected. Yes, and here's more. I just got that one. Yes, I thought you would never ask. God's not going to answer you the way you expect him to. Whatever way God chooses to respond to your prayers will be in his time and in his way for you. I can't understand that at times, and I get frustrated. But I want you to know, to get to that place of praise, you've got to let God do his work. The same way he did in David's life, there was consideration, and God was concerned, and God was listening. But there was also, look at this in verse 2, ready? He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. There was intervention. The intervention came by God pulling him out of the pit. Now, verse 20, I mean, chapter 40 and verse 2 says that there was a pit. And this is in reference to a, a deep hole in the ground. But it wasn't just a normal pit. It was a horrible pit, according to David. When you are in a pit, you, you can't see the world around you. Only the hole you're stuck in. And there's some people in here right now that feel that. You feel like you're in the pit. Nobody can see where you're at. It's all alone. It's isolated. It's just a horrible place to be. Sometimes we describe that as depression. Some people describe it as anxiety. Some people describe it as a horrible life. David said it was a horrible pit. It was a place where there was no hope of escape. And he also, if you read into this and begin to study it, his description was that it was a loud place. In other words, it was a place that had a, it was deep within the ground, but there was rushing water so loud that you never had peace and quiet. It was just loud and abrupt. I hate it when I have to experience loud and abrupt things when I'm in the midst of just struggling because I just want peace. I don't want all of this discord around me. I just, I need to clear my mind. I went to Starbucks right before uh, the service, and I just I wanted to work some more on this. And I'm just sitting there, and I don't know what the playlist was, but it was like that moment of like, oh, my goodness, just give me some peace. You know, this song is so obnoxious. It went on for like 10 minutes. I had so much anxiety. I'm like shaking. I'm like, I'm about to ask them to skip this song. <laughs> and I went back up to get something else to drink, and I looked at her and I said, what is going on with this playlist? She goes, I don't know, but it's driving me crazy. I was like, yeah. <laughs> It's nuts. It makes no sense. But I feel like in life, we get to that point. We're literally in a pit and it's so, everything around us seems so loud and overwhelming and you just want peace. Me and Elio go on a country drive and I love just getting as far out as I possibly can. And in the middle of the night, we'll stop on the road, shut off the car and I say, just listen. No, no cop cars, no fire engines. You know, if you know where I live, it's, in, it's on a very busy street. It's just peace. We all 
just want to experience peace. And the only way we're going to get it in the midst of that pit is the intervention of God. It's a place of desolation and destruction. It's comparable even to a grave. Some theologians say he almost is acting as if he's at the end of his life and he's already been buried. That's a horrible place because it's the lowest place you can get. It literally represents the lowest place you can get in life. And there's two types of people in here. Those that are there or those that have already been there. You say, well, I've never been there. No, at some point in your life, unless you are very, very young, you have been in a pit. I guarantee you that. And so there was an intervention. God pulled him out of this pit, but God also did this. He pulled him out of the clay. This is very important to understand. Out of the miry clay, David's description of his his position is literally being described as being stuck. I'm not just in a pit, but I'm stuck in the pit. That's the worst. I mean, I'm at the lowest place in life, physically, mentally, emotionally. It's affecting my marriage. It's, it's, It's affecting my children. It's affecting my job. It's affecting everything. But not only that, I'm stuck. I don't even know how to get out of this situation. David was at that place where he described it as a miry clay. In other words, it's underneath that rushing loud water. Is this muck and mire, and he's sinking in it. I don't know if you realize this. I've never experienced it, but they say the more you struggle in quicksand, the faster you sink. In other words, if you think you can get out of it on your own, you're just going to sink faster. Sometimes when we get stuck in a situation, we become so desperate to get out of it, we do some crazy things. I mean, we get so desperate to get out of that situation, we make horrible decisions. <laughs> I've done that, right? Everybody's in agreement. Um, When I was in college, uh, I would come home on the weekends just once in a while. It was a little bit of a drive. It was like five hours. And I would always bring friends home. And my mom loved that because we'd eat so much. So I'd bring like three or four friends home. We came home on one weekend. And I said, guys, have you ever been caving? I knew they hadn't because one was from Chicago. The other one was from L.A. I said, you're going to love this experience. So it was like 10 o'clock at night. We went to Hughes Cave in the middle of nowhere. You have to drive way out in the hills of Alabama and went down this long trail, went into this cave. It's massive. It's a massive cave, huge. And we had these flashlights, and we go deep inside the cave. We come out. When we came out, it was like 12 o'clock at night, and my car was stuck in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, what am I going to do? I begin to panic. Because my parents had no idea exactly where I was. They knew we went caving. They don't know where it is. They didn't know half of the things we did out there in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Now that we were doing anything crazy. But I was like, what am I going to do? I'm stuck. And i got to get this fixed. So I got desperate. Y'all follow me? Don't judge me on this story. I never told any church members this story that I'm aware of. But so I made a decision. It wasn't a wise decision. Because we had no cell phones. We had no GPS. There was no way to tell my dad what's going on. So I told the guys, I said, listen, guys, we're going to have to walk. We'll get to the end of this road, and then we'll have to make a decision because there's another road. So we got to the end of the road, and I said, I know there's a gas station five miles that way, and there's a chance there's a payphone. That makes me feel old. <laughs> there's a chance. Don't know for sure if there's a payphone, so we're taking a chance. Or and there was an old rusty sign of a, a Baptist church, and I said, we could go four miles that way, break into the church, use their phone, and get my dad to pick me up. And they're like, 
let's break into the church because you could break into any church in Tennessee, uh, Alabama. So we, that sounds horrible. So I, I'm thinking we should edit this. So we go, we walked and we walked and we walked and we talked and we talked and we talked and we had the scariest stories that were told. My friend was telling me that all these crazy things and I'm thinking, man, what a night. I just want this to end, but I'm desperate. I don't know if this is the right decision. We got to the church. The guy from Chicago knew how to pick locks. We picked a few other locks when we were trying to get in another building. Not to steal anything. It was just fun. And inside, we called my dad. We slept on the pew. My dad showed up. Didn't even ask questions. So odd. We signed the guest book and we left. <laughs> I guarantee you there was more in attendance that night than they had on a Sunday morning. They were like, whoo! Horrible decision. I broke into a church, people. I was so desperate to get out of my situation. I didn't care what it took. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work that way. It ain't going to help your family. You're going to sink worse than you ever imagined you could sink. And you're going to keep on seeking if you're trying to struggle and work your way through that situation. And I'm telling you right now, that is at that point in life where we stop praying and we stop serving and we stop worshiping God and we just give up. I was just on the phone with a friend of mine and I could tell he drifted so far from the Lord, he was just giving up. Just tired. So tired. I talked to a pastor just a couple of days ago and he said, I'm going to tell you, and he started crying, I am so tired. I just can't do this any longer. I'm tired. You know why he's tired? Because he's struggling to get out of the miry clay that he's in and he just wants relief. And then it happened. Just like Kinsey said, then it happened. God showed up. And this is what takes place in the very next verse or portion of verse 2. There was restoration. And he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. God put him in a stable place. Everybody desires stability in their life. We want stability in our marriage. We want a stable, we want a stable uh, job. We want stable health. We want stable finances. God knows we want stable kids. Anybody that doesn't want stability in their life is not stable in their head. Everybody wants stability. When things are not stable, life gets off balance and things start falling apart. It just doesn't work. There has to be stability in life. And the restoration that God brought David put him in a place where he could stand with clarity and confidence. And he refers to this as a rock. Often we see in scripture that the rock represents stability. Jesus looked at Peter and said, upon this rock will I build my church. That's stability. David referenced this in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. And he said, the Lord is my rock in my fortress, in my deliverer, the God of my rock in whom I will trust Or will I trust? That's important to understand because the trust is the key. The key to this type of stability is trust. Do you trust Christ? I can preach it all day long, but when my feet are put to the fire, it's hard for me to practice. It's easy to preach. It's another thing to live it. 
Do you trust Christ when you're in the midst of the pit? He's your life's foundation. He's your rock. I've been in so many, I've, I've attended a lot of funerals. I've preached a lot of funerals. And one of the things I see repeated over and over again is somebody within that family will say this. They were my rock. And I can't say this back to them, but the reality is they were not a rock. They weren't because a rock is unmovable. They passed on. The only stability in your life is not a human being. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that trust in him, there is no stability. There has to be trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same goes for every other area in life. If you don't trust your spouse, then you'll have an unstable marriage. So what do you think when it comes to Jesus Christ? Do you think you can go through life and only trust him in certain elements of your life? No, you have to trust him in all of it. That is the only way you have stability in your life. And so the stability comes through this restoration. God put him in a stable place, but God also established his direction. The very next part of that verse, established my goings. Direction only comes after stability, and stability is always grounded in truth. That's why I love the verse, and it's one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, when it says, Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. That's your direction. We have the greatest GPS. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But often it says rerouting, rerouting, because we're always choosing to go our own direction. We just had our men's retreat, and they got so frustrated with me because I wasn't paying attention at all. I was on the phone with Brianna. I'm, I'm trying to pay attention, but I'm not paying attention. And, and like two or three times, it had to reroute me because I ch- chose to go the wrong direction. I think the key to life, successful life, is just paying attention to what God is doing. It's not that we're intentionally trying to go the wrong direction. We just lose focus of the right direction. It's not that we set out to be the biggest rebels and say, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. It's not that at all. It's just we get so consumed with our way of thinking, we lose track of what God is trying to do. And so at this point, David said he established my direction. In Scripture, when God established something, it's because he has a plan in place. He, he knows where he's going, in other words. God established his covenant. He established his laws. He established the boundaries for the promised land. He established his relationship with his people. God is big into establishing things because God knows what the end holds. Y'all follow me? So when he's leading and directing, it's because he knows exactly where he's going and you're going with him. He's got, he's got a, a plan for your life. I, I love Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way, God spoke to the nation of Israel and he said through Jeremiah, listen, I have a plan for you. And for a matter of fact, he said he declares his plan is going to be successful. It's not to heart them. It's not to harm them. His plan is to give them hope and a future. So that's that's, God has a future plan. He has everything laid out for you. He's got it all planned out for you. So in this moment, right now, your defeat, and that miry clay that your feet are in, that, that discouragement you're feeling, you're not the only one that's been there. But I'm going to tell you, if you can understand that it doesn't end there, you will see something revolutionary in your life. 
You just have to wait. I, I thought I would never get married. And some of you are like, hey, I can see why. <laughs> the, reality, the reality is this. When I was 20, I was thinking, okay, this ain't looking good. Because I didn't have a girlfriend. 21 is definitely not looking good. 22, now I'm getting nervous. I know they have mail order brides. I might look into that. 23, now it's really bad. Y'all following me? And finally, I got to a point where, like, God, I don't know what. I, I felt like David. I don't know what you want from me. I mean, I, 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 what do you, I, I committed my life to you. What else do you want? I'm waiting on you. I'm being a good guy. And all I'm wanting is a good girl. And, and, and the reality was, at that moment, I felt like nothing was going to change. But the whole time, behind closed doors, God had everything in place, and he was working it all out. The same goes for Fellowship Baptist Church, the church I came to 14 years ago, my sending church. The same goes for Thrive Church. God was working all the details out. It's just I had to be patient and wait. And in the end, the door opened and God made those things available. Through the work of God, David came to a place of praise. And in verse 3, David had adoration for God. It all came together, which created this intimate praise between God and David. And it was so intimate that God, God used his testimony, if you would, his story in such a way that it changed other people's lives. Watch this, Psalms chapter 40 and verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth and praise unto our God. Now, why are we at this place? Well, if you go back to the beginning of verse 1, it's because he had patience. And then God began to work, and three key things happened in his life. And now we're in verse 3, and he has a new song in his mouth and praise unto the Lord. There was adoration for God through songs of worship. The songs of David were not just songs of praise, but they were also a story. I don't know if you understand that. It's important for you to. It was a story that was being told. An example of this is in Psalms chapter 3, 1 through 3, when King David fled from his son uh, during Absalom's uh, rebellion. So he said, Lord, I, he basically says, Lord, I have many enemies. And for a matter of fact, my enemies have turned against me. And, and then they're even saying, God won't rescue me. And he goes on further and says, but Lord, you are my shield, my wonderful God, whom gives me Courage. Now, I don't know how he made that into a song. I don't even know if it would have went very well as a song, but he used it not only as a story, but it is considered one of his psalms. It's a beautiful illustration of what God did through his life, a story that was told. Now, watch this. The new song is represented by the new addition to his story. David already had an incredible story of his life all the way back when he was a shepherd boy and what God has done, all the way up until he became king. God did miraculous things, and that was a continuation of his story. But at this point, through those three things that God did in his life, he now has a new addition to his story. That's why the Bible says, a new song is in my mouth. And the new song's in my mouth because of these things that just happened to me. He set my feet upon a rock. He pulled me out of the pit, out of the miry clay. Are y'all watching? This is important. 
Your story is being told, just like the beautiful story that Kinsey gave. It's not over. It's a song to be sung. And I think too often we close that songbook that God is writing about your life before he is finished with it. I've seen this happen so many times, and I'm not just talking about people that have taken their lives. I'm talking about people that quit on God because they felt like he was nowhere to be found like David felt at the beginning of the story. But if they could just hold on and realize that there is a new song that God is adding to this storybook, if you would, this songbook of your life, and he wants to continue it. Every song we just sung together was a story, a story. Mercy Me concert was amazing. Me and my family went. We went with a number of other people from the church. Every song he sung was a story, something that happened in his life. And he put it in song form. Now, I'm not saying you're going to walk around singing your life story, but I will say this. Your story is a type of praise. Psalms 90 and verse 9 says it this way. We spend our years as a tale that is told. You may not literally sing your story, but you have one to tell. And your story is important. It's vitally important because that story is what God has done in your life and what he's continuing to do in your life. So there was this adoration for God through songs of worship, through words of praise, even praise unto our God. David had a purpose to his songs. For a matter of fact, the story was a story of praise to his God. His words were used to show others the power of God and the way God worked in his life. Now, watch closely as we finish up this passage of Scripture. In verse 3, Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. The word fear is translated reverence or stand in awe. In other words, when they hear this song of praise, people will literally stand in awe in reverence, the, in reverence, the God of David. Your story, your song, this adoration toward God, this, this praise that you're bringing into other people's lives is going to draw people to Jesus Christ. Do you have a story? Do you have a story that needs to be told? Because I feel as if that, that so many people have chosen to close that songbook of life, if you would, and not release those beautiful songs. Because we feel as if they're not going to influence, they're not going to help. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible says many shall see it and trust. People are looking for something to believe in. And I believe your story might, may, may not look like Kinsey's, but your story is special. It may not look like David's, but your story is special because it's going to help somebody, some individual that it's going to speak into their life in a way that nobody else's story can do. And it may be something that is physical. It could be something that is emotional and mental. It could be something from your past or your present. But whatever it is, if there is what, what the Bible referred to as this, this restoration and God brought some peace and God brought some direction and God brought some stability, then you have something to give people because you're giving them a story and a song of hope, which brings that praise and adoration. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your head for just a minute, would you please? As we bow together, I want, I want you to do something a little bit unique. I don't want you to sing. I just want you to listen. And I want you to listen to the words of this song because I believe that 
For some of you, your story is still at the beginning of Psalms 40 and verse 1. You're still waiting on God to show up. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute, can I ask you this simple question? How many of you are in a place in your life right now that you're still patiently waiting on God to show up in your situation? Would you raise your hand? I'm with you guys. Mine is a physical need for my nephew. Yours might be a spiritual. Yours might be something in your marriage. I don't know where you're at. It could be something in your ministry. It could be something with your finances. It could be something physical too. Your story. You're still waiting. But don't quit. Don't close the book. Because God's writing something beautiful. And you're going to use that story one day. And it's going to inspire. It's going to change people's lives. Because it's filled with this adoration for God. And it may not be a song of worship, but it could be a words of praise. And you're going to speak into their life and it's going to change people. Thanksgiving is just around the corner. We have so much to thank God for. And as you bow your head, I want you to listen to these words. Because some of us feel like I'm not in a place where I can praise God. I haven't felt the deliverance of God. I feel like I'm so stuck. I don't know how to get my head above water. But it's not over yet. 